all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. Today we're talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. No, that doesn't mean that you have to be hyperactive to have ADHD. It's just the terminology and the way it's defined now. So some people have just the inattention. Some have the inattention and the hyperactivity. But what should you do if you think that you or your child might have ADHD? Could it be something else that's causing that inattention or hyperactivity? Is medication always the answer? Are there other things that you can do if there are some attentional problems and maybe some struggles? You can call and we'll try to answer your questions or your concerns. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on ADHD and if you have it, how you've approached it, if you've been on medication, what's happened. so you can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, ADHD has really been around for a very long time. It's been defined, um, uh, it's been called many different things. Back in the really old days, back in the 60s and 70s, it was called minimal brain dysfunction. And then it moved into attention deficit disorder um, as it moved through. So ADHD was uh, first described fairly clearly in the 1930s. And it was thought at that time that those who experience the symptoms of what we now call ADHD had experienced some sort of brain damage. Well, that was the more severe type of individual who had learning and attentional problems. That's not what we define as ADHD now. Um, Now we know that it is largely genetically based, though there may be some other things that put one at higher risk for the disorder. Um, We also know that uh, now the research um, is out there, uh, we know that there are some things that can make ADHD better or worse. And so, for example, we know that if you're predispositioned um, through genetic genetics to have ADHD, and then on top of that, your mother smoked during pregnancy with you, that 
that smoking during pregnancy, a significant amount of smoking, and that marker seems to be 20 cigarettes um, during pregnancy um, or more uh, a day, that it can increase the severity pretty significantly of ADHD in that child who was exposed. Uh, We also know some uh, fairly simple things that make sense. Um, Lack of sleep can certainly make uh, an inattentive person even more inattentive. So um, with that, um, we've got lots of other things to talk about as we move along in the show. But we have our first caller, and I want to thank Courtney for starting the conversation off early. Courtney in Madison, you, yep. you have a daughter who's been diagnosed as having ADHD? Yes, recently was actually at the Kate Center, and um, she was diagnosed with, you know, the inattentive type. Um, and also with general anxiety disorder. Um, And so it was recommended that, you know, we do a 504 with the school. Right. um, And they were very nice and helpful, um, but I wasn't really sure, you know, what I should be asking for. Um, She's really struggling in a couple of subjects, math especially, and it's compounded by, you know, her anxiety. And um, so... You know, I wasn't sure, you know, other than asking for, you know, a little bit more attention and maybe some more time to complete tasks, if there was right. anything that you would recommend that might help somebody, um, you know, that has her diagnosis sure. in school. Sure. Um this is a great uh, a great case for us to discuss, to discuss, Courtney, because often individuals with ADHD also experience some anxiety. You said she has the ADHD inattentive type, right? So, and that used to be thought to be much more common in girls than boys. Now we know probably boys also experience this. So. If you think about it, you're you're inattentive, you're having difficulty staying on task, and right. then you're getting in trouble or somebody's calling you out because you're missing questions, you got the instructions wrong yet again, um, you couldn't complete your classwork, and so then you get anxious. And so you get that overlay, and sometimes we do struggle at our center, and I know other providers who, who work with this struggle with whether or not it was the anxiety for, first that's causing the inattention or if it's the inattention that's causing the anxiety, so the exactly. old <laughs> chicken or the egg. Right. So, um, yes, and now you mentioned that the recommendation was to um, ask for a 504 plan. Correct. And so, and also to do in conjunction with therapy, which she's starting uh, soon. So. Good, 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 good. I was going to say, I hope that our center did recommend Absolutely. therapy. Good. Yes. Um, certainly, whenever you have a child with anxiety and inattention, one of the best things that you can do is to get help for the anxiety. Um, they also will likely help with methods on how she can help herself with the inattention. How old is your daughter? She is 10. She's in fifth grade. Yeah. So she is at that age where we know that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy um, can be very helpful. Um, 
in in a, a child. They can learn how to help control some of that anxiety. They can learn what to do to help improve the inattention and and um, what measures they might need. So I'm glad <laughs> that the counseling was recommended. So let's go back to a 504 plan. Just for the listening audience, um, a 504 plan is um, a, a, a ruling that it's a special ed ruling, but you don't have to qualify by your academic scores. You can have a diagnosis such as ADHD and be demonstrating some struggles in school, and that alone will qualify you for a 504 plan um, as long as the school recognizes that that the child is struggling if if there has been a dip in grades or some difficulty which I would assume is the case with your daughter yes so um, under the 504 plan there's several things there are lots of different things you can do you can ask for um, a front of the classroom placement you can ask for a study buddy somebody to help you take notes um, to be able to use uh, a recorder to record lectures if you're having difficulty um, getting everything so that you have a reinforcer um, you mentioned added time for um, to to do the work, extended test time. You can ask for being tested in a quieter environment because often children and adults with ADHD um, will have great difficulty um, just being in a classroom with somebody perhaps tapping their pencil or somebody coughing. That may be a real distractor. So um, those are the kinds of things that you can request in a 504 plan. You can ask for um, perhaps some written instructions. You can ask for the teacher to make sure that the child understands the instructions, especially oral instructions. Um, You know, everybody learns and processes differently. Uh, Many times children with ADHD also may have some problems with auditory processing. And so they, they don't process what they hear as rapidly as maybe other kids in the classroom. So they may have difficulty deciphering exactly what kind of instructions they're supposed to be following through on. So those are those are some of the many things, Courtney. Um, if I would highly recommend, if we did not give it to you, we have an example of a 504 plan in our office, and you can ask for that. Um, okay. It has lots of different um, suggestions on what what you can ask for as you go through. Okay. I, I hope that helps. That does. Thank you. Well, you are so welcome, Courtney. Also, um, whenever we have a child um, with ADHD, we like to make sure that from a dietary standpoint, uh, we're looking at making sure that the diet is good. If it's not, maybe looking at what kind of changes we need to make. And so um, those are some other things that we can we can talk about as we move along in the show. Courtney, do you, do you feel like your daughter dietarily is in the right spot? 
I think she is. She is um, probably, you know, eats better than, you know, my other kids. So Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least, yeah, she's got that going for her. <laughs> well, good. Well, thanks for your call, and I appreciate you, um, you bringing that out. I think that may have helped some other people know what to ask for when you're talking to a school about your child perhaps needing help. Um, so... Definitely. All right. Good luck. Hope it hope it goes well. Thank you so much. All right. Well, since I, I mentioned diet, um, I, I I wanted us to talk about that, and maybe we'll just talk about it right now. As as you're looking at um, at other causes of ADHD, or perhaps maybe you have that diagnosis, but is there something that you can do besides medication? Um, There are a few things that I always like to talk to parents uh, about, and and even for yourself, know that these things work. I say parents, but we're talking about adults and children. If you're having difficulty with concentration, it's really an important thing to do is to make yourself step through. Are you doing anything that perhaps is hurting your ability to pay attention? And, and one of those things may be that from a dietary standpoint, you just don't have a good healthy diet that is making your brain function good. Now, there's not a whole lot of really great research out there, but there is some that has, has looked at the, the value of, for example, omega-3 fatty acids. That's one of those things that is in tuna, salmon, um, herring, um, almonds, walnuts, fennel, some, several things that you can get in your diet. Um, or you can take as a supplement if you just can't eat any of those things. So omega-3 fatty acids are something you need to think about. Getting rid of as many simple carbohydrates as you can is another thing. And the other thing that has been supported somewhat in the literature, and I'll say back in the 70s and 80s when I was originally practicing, um, well, 80s particularly, uh, we kind of poo-pooed the food dyes, but now there's been some research that is saying that that really the red dye, 40, orange-yellow dyes, artificial dyes perhaps, um, can make attention span worse. Nobody needs artificial dyes, so... Um, important to make yourself think, why in the world would you put something artificial in your body if you don't have to? So I highly recommend staying away from those uh, artificial food colorings um, as best you can. They're in a lot of things. You'd be surprised. Well, we're going to go back to the phones. Um, We have Steve in Pass Christiane. And Steve, I think you have a good question. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Tell us Uh, what your question is. Well, I'm a grumpy old man. Uh, (laughs) I got to say that right away. I I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Right. And I I exhibited behavior similar to a lot of the things that we've been talking about. And my dad would send me out back to the weeping willow tree for a switch. And you know, and and to me, some of the things that I'm hearing sounds like an unruly child that is just not getting discipline. And 
I guess being an older person, you know, I mean, I don't advocate taking a kid out and whipping them for sure anymore. So if my one of my children whipped my grandchildren, I'd be all over them. <laughs> Good, but thanks. I, I just think that we're, I, I almost, to me sometimes, I think we're taking situations like this and other ones and just mushing them over with with some gobbledygook. And that's that's just my personal opinion. But, you know, sometimes latching onto a kid by the arm and setting him down and saying, listen, You've got things to do in school, just like I've got things to do at work. You've got responsibilities. Now get your head in the game and get going. Right. So that's 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 my that's my mean old grandpa position, I guess. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen off the air. Okay, Steve. Well, actually, um, Steve is bringing up a point that's been discussed a lot and needs to be discussed because there's a. Uh, one of my questions is um, we've seen a, cre- a, uh, a marked increase in the diagnosis of ADHD, and it's not just my question. It's lots of other uh, physicians uh, and allied health professionals out there. Why, why are we seeing such an increase? Um, is it that really there's that much of an increase of ADHD? Are we overdiagnosing it, and are we over-treating it? And is some of this really just a behavioral issue that we need to address with behavioral intervention? And I think most of us who practice this um, assert that it's it's um, certainly being overdiagnosed in some areas. Um, no question that it's a real diagnosis in those of us who have practiced and researched in this area, and I've done both. Um, no question that it's real, but I have some great question about whether or not we have an overdiagnosis. And so we need to look at what's going on behaviorally, make sure that good behavioral intervention is going on, and the American Academy. Academy of Pediatrics recommendation actually is in young children. The first thing you do is look at behavioral therapy beside, after you've ruled out everything else. Even if you make the diagnosis of ADHD, you still need to make sure that you impart behavioral therapy before medication because we know in a young child that it's important to get a handle on on what's behavior what can they control and what can they not control and and you can make that d- differential if you work hard and I'll tell you we are very reticent we're very resistant in our clinic to put a very young child on medication um, because we always want to see what we can do with behavioral therapy first so I appreciate Steve's call because that needed to be addressed and and I know many of you may have even a stronger opinion than he did and like I said feel free to join the conversation we're going to go to our first break but we've got open lines and we'd love for you to share your comments about ADHD your thoughts your concerns and maybe your needed advice you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org this is relatively speaking i'm dr susan buttress and we're talking about adhd
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and this is Relatively Speaking. Today we're talking about anything you want to know about ADHD. And um, you are welcome to give us a call and um, give us an opinion or ask a question. You can call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So we've talked about um, a little bit about the diet, a little bit about behavior. Um, We know that in the U.S. now, over 6 million children have been diagnosed with ADHD, making it the most common childhood behavioral condition that's out there. So that's been a huge increase. Why? Um, We talked a little bit about maybe there's some overdiagnosis. Maybe there's some confusion about what it is and what it isn't. Maybe we're jumping to medication too quickly. But we, I can, I can assure you, um, it's a real disorder, and there's some individuals who have their lives affected every single day, and really benefit from good treatment. Well, let's go back to the phones. We have Harry in Oxford. Good morning, Harry. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Now, do you personally suffer from ADHD? Yes, I do. So talk to us about what your thoughts are today. Okay, I take Ritalin. I have most of my life. Mm-hmm. They took me off of it, I guess, right about the time you had puberty because they didn't really know what it was about at the time. it was. I, I'm pretty sure it was just being introduced, you know, to the market at the time. How, how old are you, Harry? Do you mind 54. me asking? How old? 54. Okay. 54. 54. Yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So it was, um, yeah, so you were diagnosed at what age? I would guess around first grade, second grade, yeah. seven or eight. Yeah. So, so, yes, you were one of the individuals. I mean, people were being treated back in the 30s, believe it or not. But, yeah, but yeah when, when you began in, in your treatment, that was when there was a lot more written about ADHD. And I, I guess, you know, then it was, it was actually called MBD, a minimal brain dysfunction, I believe, or attention <laughs> deficit, either one, yeah. A lot of kids that get punished because they're 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 hyperactive because people with ADHD. I have I'm lucky to be blessed with a photographic memory, but my mind moves at a fast rate. Mm-hmm. I have to have something to occupy my brain all the time. Mm-hmm. I think literal because it's just part of the disorder. I guess I know it's just me. I have to have something to occupy my brain. If I work, you know, like I work in a machine shop, I love it because it keeps your mind stimulated, it keeps you going. Uh-huh. It's it still all the time, even on medication, it just doesn't work. And in the school, that you know, kids would get in trouble and get paddled. Paddling does not work for somebody with ADHD. No, absolutely, it does not. It does not. And, uh, you cannot you beat know. a child into play, paying attention. I assure you. Yeah. No, and uh, I had a lot of time out. Believe me, my mother put me in my timeout corner quite a bit when I was little. They work. That does work actually. But people have to understand that somebody with that disorder, an ADHD type disorder, that is real, and you know, and people sometimes don't understand that. 
So Harry, you they said that. Yeah, Harry, you said that they took you off the medication when you were an adolescent. You know, back then, there was yeah. some concern that um, once you hit adolescence, uh, the yeah. medication had uh, opposite effect. And uh, is that what they were wondering back then? I would imagine it was. Yeah. It's been so long now, I couldn't tell you. But I went as an adult. I got back on it. Um, I went when they asked me who diagnosed me, and I said Dr. Marshall Stone was the one that first diagnosed me. He lost his passed away. I went to Dr. Gaines, you know, his, his neurologist, and they did an EGM and said, yes, you still suffer from it. We'll be back on Ritalin. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time I was off of it, you know. Yeah. But. yeah. So um, just for the listening audience, Harry, and, and also for you, honestly, um, an EEG cannot tell you whether or not you have um ADHD. Yeah. And that that's one of the the problems with it. There is no one test that tells you whether or not you have ADHD and um and it is actually a process of elimination, ruling out all the other things that potentially could be causing problems from um I can tell you from um if I don't take the medication. Uh-huh. I I know, I know it. I mean literally as they say you, you can get a high off your own body chemistry. That's part of it there, you know. Because, so, you know, my mind moves so fast and I can't just tell unless I'm on, you know, I take the long acting kind of rippling, you know. Good. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. It, it, it makes you focus because without it, you don't focus. Yeah. Well, Harry, thanks for calling about that because uh, we needed to hear from an adult who said, I had it, I still have it. It it seems in the milder cases, um, which is occurs in about 30% of the individuals, um, it, it, seem, it seem, tends to disappear by adolescence or late adolescence. In the, the, the moderate uh, to more severe type, often individuals continue to have difficulty at least through their 20s. And then in the more severe, um, many times it continues all your life and that you really do need some help with it. And it sounds like you're a very bright man. And that's another thing I want to say. It has nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with intelligence. And so you can be very, very bright and have ADHD and underperform in school because you can't pay attention and can't stay in test to complete the work. So I much prefer long-acting medicines over short-acting um, because it tend, they tend to cause less side effects and they, they tend to not give you the peaks and valleys that a short-acting medicine can give. So... Well, Harry, thanks for your call. I appreciate you calling in. Um, well, let's go next. We have Katie and Hurley. Um, Katie, I think you're bringing up something I want to talk about. Talk to us about your thoughts. Okay, so I think that a lot of, um, and this might not be the root, but it definitely worsens the problem. I think that our kids typically just watch too much TV because there's this constant, fast-paced stimuli that's just going on, and they can't even really orient to anything else. But And it's definitely really hard not to lean on the TV as a parent of a young child. I understand that, but I can notice a marked difference in her behavior if she watches more than, say, an hour of TV. Yeah. How, how old is your child, Katie? 
she's two, and I, I really, yeah. really, really was good about not letting her watch TV <laughs> until she was about a year and a half, and then I, I got pregnant, so that kind of went out the window. I didn't need a little help. But um, she watches a lot of TV, she gets just restless and cranky. Yeah, yeah. So, Katie, this is actually an area of interest of mine. I was on one of the committees in the American Academy of Pediatrics that that looked at this and studied it very hard back many years ago. And I don't know if you know, this was certainly before your daughter's time. We came out with a statement that said uh, the AP recommends no TV at all in kids under two due to the fact that there were some concerns exactly about what you're talking about. Does it diminish in a, uh, attention? Does it diminish learning? Uh, children need face-to-face time with their parents and all. That's actually been re-looked at over and over again. There's quite a bit of research going on. And it looks like good TV that you see on, for example, PBS, um, you know, shows like uh, Dora the Explorer, like Sesame Street, and some of the others can actually enhance learning for children, especially if parents watch it with them and help reinforce some of the positive. Um, now, what is being looked at more and more now are the really fast-paced video games. There is some evidence that on those really fast-paced video games that reward you for your attention span, um, kids with ADHD do very well in those, and they actually can get very much hooked on those. And think about what it does. You mentioned it. Think about what it does when um, then you have to turn <laughs> and listen to a parent or a teacher who talks much more slowly paced and does not give those intermittent, often reinforcers that you get in those video games. It diminishes the ability to pay attention. And that's been studied to the point where it really has looked at the dopamine, that that neurochemical that makes you pay attention, helps you pay attention. It's kind of your reward and you pay attention um, more. Um, that's been looked at, and um, it it shows that individuals who are playing those video games, boy, their the attention part of their brain lights up in that prefrontal frontal cortex, and um, and uh, not so much in the classroom. So I, I think you're on the right track. A little bit of TV is is certainly not bad. Uh, some video games. Probably okay, but you really do need to look at limiting that. Really important. So, um, Katie, I'm glad you brought that up. Another one of those areas we needed to bring out and talk about. So if your child's experiencing a lot of symptoms of inattention, listeners, I would highly recommend that you think about Diminishing media time, particularly fast-paced video games. Um, certainly TV um, can be uh, a fender also. All right. Thanks for that call. Let's go next. We have Sam in Jackson. Sam, you have some comments about ADHD? Uh, yeah. Uh, I just want to say that, uh, well, I'm, I'm a retired veteran right now, but I just want to say that that uh, ADHD, that uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, there are uh, people abusing all types of drugs out there. Mm-hmm. I know of students 
who, who go to universities and stuff like that to take that, you know, because, you know, they stimulate their brain, you know, and help them out, you know, pass the test, that's what they tell me and stuff like that, you know what I'm talking about, you know, it really helps them out. Yeah. But, you know, it ain't got so bad that uh, parents are taking their children to the doctor and stuff and then coach them to get that Adderall and stuff for the ADHD so they can take it themselves instead of the children, you know what I'm talking about? You know, and, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't get to be a real mess and stuff like that. And like she was saying, it stimulates the uh, the part of the brain that uh, produces uh, dopamine, which is the same thing as uh, scopolamine, you know, and, and, and also like serotonin, you know, stuff like anything that uh, stimulates your, uh, you know, uh, good feeling section. But uh, I think doctors should screen more, you know, the, yeah. the, the parent when they bring a child in, you know, saying the child got ADHD, because uh, some of the time the parent is the one that's trying to get the drug. Yeah. Sam, thank you for bringing this out. Um, gosh, we've had some callers who are just helping me right through the show bring up points I need to bring up. That is a big one. Anybody who says the stimulant drugs are not abused and are not a commodity on the streets are out of touch with reality. Um, Adderall is is one of those um, drugs that has a street value. And, and I believe Sam when he says, in fact, I'm... Uh, I have been suspicious that occasionally, rarely, but occasionally, I have have seen a child who's there who clearly somebody's trying to set the stage for the child to get medication. Now, I think that's rare, but I do think it happens. I think what happens more often is that um, that there are some physicians out there who um, are other allied health professionals out there who don't evaluate ADHD appropriately, who don't ask enough questions, who are way too quick with the prescriptions, and that needs to stop. And there has been some concern in this state. You know, I think the the, the not that that the stimulants have anything to do with opioid uh, addiction, but just controlled substances have been much more discussed because of our terrible opioid crisis that we have. And um, I think everybody needs to um, think about what's going on when you put a child or an adult, on medication for ADHD, there really needs to be a pretty intense workup, not just a rating scale, not just a checklist, but you need to look at everything else that's going on. Look at nutrition, look at sleep, look at vision, hearing, other learning issues, other mood disorders. If you don't have good evidence out there that all of that has been addressed, then then the individual should not absolutely not be placed on medication. So Sam's concern is um, correct. I think there are kids out there in, in high school and college who'll buy it, um, buy Adderall to take a test, to think that it's going to help them. It may help you concentrate to study. It does not help with imprinting information. It does not help with learning. And so it's a bad thing to do and something that that we try to fight against, I know, in our in our clinic. So, all right, a difficult topic there. Uh, let's go next to Tim in Oxford. Tim, you have a comment about your daughter on medication? 
Yes. So when um, she was younger, um, probably about eight or ten, um, she was having lots of problems focusing in school. And um, as she got older, um, the medication, um, she still has focus issues even mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just we were we were putting her on antidepressants to go along with it, and it just with all the side effects and with everything, you know, it just became a real problem in itself. Right. With lots of emotional problems that came along with the medication. That last year we just took her off the medicine, and and you know it just it, yes, she still has the focus issues, but it was it was better overall because yeah. she didn't have any of that other stuff, and now she's. She seems like she's a lot happier. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, still has the focus issues, but, you know, it's almost like it was not worth the trade off. Yeah. So you're bringing up another good point. Medication for ADHD is only supposed to help if it changes personality, if it makes a child zombie-like, if it makes a child feel sad or depressed or lose weight, then it's the wrong medicine. It's not what we're supposed to be doing for our children. So I think you made the right decision to take her off of it. Another thing that I see sometimes is that you just brought something up, too, that it sounds like they put her on another medicine because the medication was causing some side effects. Um, So when you start putting a child or an adult on a medicine to counteract a side effect from the medicine that they're on, um, one would get a little concerned about what we're really doing. So you want to be careful about that. Now, I will say there is an exception to that. If a child is doing very well in a stimulant, feels good, there's not a personality change, uh, they're concentrating well, and they're happy on the medicine, but they're having some appetite suppression, occasionally we'll use another medication to see if it'll help stimulate the appetite. That's the one exception. But if your child wasn't depressed and then is put on ADHD medicine and now is depressed, then that means the medication is causing the mood change. And so it's time to either lower the dose or change the medicine or take the child off medication. Now, Tim, there are some other medications that might help her that might not cause the mood changes. And if she continues to struggle significantly, even with some classroom accommodations, it might be worthwhile to consult an expert to see if they could perhaps help your daughter with that. But, um, yeah, that's an issue that sometimes, um, no matter what medication, an individual is better off off the medicine having the accommodations made. And sometimes it may mean a school change. A smaller classroom sometimes can make a huge difference. And, um, you know, the way we teach is, is not the way our traditional classrooms are set up are often not designed well for individuals with ADHD because they're too large, they don't allow interaction, they don't allow movement around the classroom, and that's something we really need to think about as we're trying to educate everybody, not just individuals who fit in that narrow cone of perfection. So thanks for that call, Tim. Thank you very much. Um, let's go on to Susan in Biloxi. We're going to stay on the phone lines for a while. Um, Susan, you have a question about a grandson diagnosed. 
I do, or maybe just a comment. Sure. Um, I have a grandson that uh, was um, struggling in school and also uh, social anxiety. And the uh, parents, both parents, were not wanting them to be, um, him to be put on medicine until they tried and exhausted everything from diet to just uh, counseling and other things. And finally, after about a year, he, the pediatrician did strongly recommend that they go ahead and put him on Ritalin. He was put on Ritalin and in a very short time began to have very rapid heartbeat. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so after just a few months of that, uh, he was taken to a cardiologist and was diagnosed, and I probably will not pronounce this right, but supraventricle aortic tachycardia, I uh, guess. Supraventricular but tachycardia. Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, immediately uh, before even he started running tests, he took him off of Ritalin uh-huh. um, and then ran the test and found it um, and put him on a beta blocker and amazingly... The anxiety stopped in him. He's calmed down. He's been able to now focus. And so my my caution would be that the cardiologist had said all children who were put on any kind of medication um, for attention deficit orders or any of those things should always have their heart tested to make sure. Uh, because if you are one of those few who do have something wrong with your heart, um, adding any kind of medication can really cause a problem. So that was my only caution is that mm-hmm. we want, you already talked about it just just a little bit ago. I was listening to you cautioning yeah. people about, you know, make sure there's a battery of tests before right. you put someone on the medication. So anyway, right. that was it. His anxiety was really caused from something as a young child that he didn't know when he began to have these rapid heartbeats, he was frightened by it. Yeah. And he was yeah. thinking he was just nervous or yeah. pissed or nervous, and they were too. Yeah. But anyway, it wound up being something entirely different. Yeah. Well, Susan, thanks for that call. I will You're say welcome. that um, the um, American Academy of Pediatrics, I keep mentioning them, but um, they're sort of my, my go-to group because they do so much wonderful work um, for children. But that the, the cardiac issue has long been looked at because stimulants, all of them, Ritalin, Adderall, all the long, even the long-acting medications have been shown to increase the heart rate by a couple or three beats per minute, may increase the blood pressure by just a few millimeters of mercury. Now, in an individual um, who has a typical blood pressure and a typical heart rate, um, the stimulants really cause no problem. The supraventricular tachycardia that Susan's grandson um, had is, is not common, but it certainly can happen. Now, it's been looked at as to whether or not a child, every child who's put on medication should have an EKG, and it, it has been shown that that really is not an effective way to make the diagnosis of some of these um, issues that one can get into with um, and so you have to have a long rhythm strip and an echo. And what was later found is that it's probably not necessary in every child. 
But what you do need is a good blood pressure, a good heart rate, a good listen. You need a physician with a stethoscope. Anybody who puts a child on a stimulant without doing those blood pressure, heart rate, listening to the rhythm of the child's heart is not practicing good medicine. And I'll say that out loud every time. So if you have a child or if you as an adult were put on a stimulant medicine without a medical clearance like that, then um, that's not good medicine and you need to demand better. Okay, so with that said, um, I, I would say that certainly that's the other issue is that anxiety can so mimic um, inattention because you can't pay attention if you are anxious. So make sure that you you get all that ruled out. And certainly if there's a family history of sudden death, if there's a family history of rhythm abnormalities, you need to get that checked. Okay, I'm being told we need to go to our next break and our final break. And when we come back, we'll get to Martha and John's calls. We're talking about ADHD. This is relatively, relatively speaking. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we're talking about ADHD today. We've had a lot of great callers, and we're going to go right back to the phone lines. We have Martha, who has been patiently waiting in Water Valley. Hi, Martha. Hi. Um, tell us what your thoughts are. It sounds like you have uh, maybe a comorbidity there. I do. Um, you know, I, I do work with children with ADHD and adults, and um there is a connection between uh, ADHD and post-traumatic stress of those um, symptoms being misinterpreted in children. So seeing children with hypervigilance, but instead it's being interpreted in the classroom as an inability to concentrate uh-huh. or stay in their seat. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of kids that come in with ADHD uh, diagnoses from their you know, personal care physician and after I end, end up doing an assessment with them, what ends up happening is we're seeing post-traumatic stress disorder. So having evidence of some major issue that has happened to that child, perhaps um, abuse or uh, death of a close family member or something like that, that is causing the concentrational issues. Concentration, yeah. nightmare, yeah. inability to stay in their seat. Yeah. They're, you know, the... Their inability, instead of calling it hypervigilance, they're saying they can't stay in their seats, they can't concentrate because right. they're worried about something else, yeah. about what happened. And I think a lot of children that if physicians that are doing these diagnoses would ask a few more questions, they might find out something else is going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, once again, Martha's pointing out something that we need to always look for with ADHD possibilities is, is there something else that is causing uh, the concentrational problem? Certainly PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder is one of those issues. So, Martha, thanks for pointing that out. And also for a lot of times for parents, this is news to them. Yeah. Absolutely. They need to, a a good history needs to be taken from the child, not just the parent. So, okay, thanks, Martha. Let's go to John. John's been so patient waiting um, in Jackson. And you have a comment, John? Yes, I'm a life, I've been afflicted with it all my life. It's a great topic, and incidentally, as usual on your show. Thank you. Um, And I can tell you, people, it's so pervasive out there, but I don't know if people are aware of it. It's kind of like unless you've experienced or, or have a family member who does, it kind of flies under the radar. Um, about 10 years ago, after being encouraged by my wife, uh, you know, it's something as a kid I just dealt with. My parents had me checked out, and we knew it was wrong. It's kind of early on. I'm 53 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was diagnosed, and because of my inability to maintain anything, I I was never prescribed medicine, but it's just something I've dealt with. I've dealt with it all my life through high school and then through college, and it's tough. However, uh, about 10 years ago, my wife encouraged me to go see a doctor to see what advancements have been made. And I saw uh, an MD, and then I saw a uh, a psychiatrist, and he prescribed me Adderall. I'd Mm -hmm. never heard of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I guess I had in the news because of of, uh, adverse reasons, but it never stuck. I started taking it, and immediately... uh, I realized the potential, and it, it, it really has become a miracle drug for me. Good. And yeah. It, and it, it works. Yeah. Uh, I, I had no idea of the uh, the illicit uh, needs for it um, until actually some people I know pointed it out that this is a, uh, a drug that's on the street. and But I, I didn't care because it, it does work for me. Yeah. Um, John, and, I'm going to stop you there because we're about out of time, and I want to point something out. You have a medication that is helpful for you, and you know it's made a difference in your life, and that's wonderful. Um, I would highly encourage anyone who has a controlled substance in their house, such as Adderall, Ritalin, Concerta, to keep it locked up, to keep it safe, make sure that nobody gets their hands on it who shouldn't, because these medications can be great, but they also can be abused. So keep that in mind. I want to thank everybody for making this a great show. Today's show was engineered by our producer, Jay White. Our call screener, I believe, was Michelle McAdoo. And um, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned next for NPR's Here and Now uh, on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.